From the studio on the University of Georgia campus, this is Unscripted. I'm your host, Alan Fleury. On each episode of Unscripted, I'll be talking to scholars, artists, journalists, and leaders from all corners of the Franklin College of Arts and Sciences, as well as guest speakers and lecturers to the UGA campus. Sapelo Island on the Georgia coast is a barrier island with a rich history, a contentious present, and an uncertain future. On this episode of Unscripted, we'll talk about Sapelo with UGA Professor of Geography Nick Hainan, co-director of the Cornelia Walker-Bailey Program on Land and Agriculture on Sapelo. A prolific author and teacher, Hainan's work is focused on the relationship between racial capitalism, nature, and the politics of resistance. His research concerns the ongoing importance of abolitionist politics. Thanks for joining us, Nick. Thanks for having me. Welcome to Unscripted. So, Sapelo is one of 14 barrier islands on the Georgia coast that range north to south from Tybee Island to Cumberland. These islands also represent a kind of spectrum ranging from Tybee and St. Simons, representing the most developed islands, to Wausau, St. Catharines, and Sapelo while not undeveloped, would be more closely aligned with this latter grouping. What initially drew you to the area and to Sapelo specifically? Uh, I think being a professor at UGA, fundamentally, uh, in 2014, Dr. Merrill Albert, who's a professor of marine sciences, invited me to come down, check it out, see if I thought that there was research possibilities. Uh, I've done done work in communities, community-based research, kind of long-term community-based research, and she recognized that there had developed since 1953 when the University of Georgia opened the Marine Institute there, a, a lot of tension between the Gullah Geechee community and the University of Georgia community. So she, she invited me to come down, see what I thought, see if I thought I could uh, help in any way bridge the communities. So the Gullah Geechee community, it's a very interesting community, a very dynamic one right now, but the history goes back much farther than the 1950s. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's, I mean, we can go back, we can go back and back and back. I mean, one of the years that uh, I often start with is 1802, which was the year that a man named Balali Muhammad was uh, brought from the Bahamas. Uh, he was bought by Thomas Spalding, who was the the the, the largest plantation owner on island, and uh, kind of many folks in the community today date their their ancestry back 15 generations directly to Balali Muhammad. So there's a very close connection to their cultural history that goes back to West Africa uh, in, in all kinds of very important ways. So the people who live on the island have seen a lot of different history and the island go through a lot of different history over that time. Yeah, yeah. There's been a, a host of different people who have owned various portions of the island. Uh, in the, in the mid-1830s, Thomas Spalding became the majority owner of the island. Uh, in the early 1900s, uh, actually 1920s, Howard Coffin uh, became a, a large landowner, and then in the after the Depression, Richard Reynolds Jr. became the primary landowner. Uh, and and so the 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 Gullah Geechee folks have had to endure these these different transitions of who owns what land, and there's been a long history of dispossession from from communities that they had. Uh, established uh, immediately after the end of the Civil War when Special Field Order 15 was originally announced by General Sherman uh, and and kind of been 
been moved and squashed down into one community now called Hog Hammock. So there's there's a, quite a robust history of this kind of dispossession. What were the large landowners doing with the island? Uh, there was a lot of agriculture initially, um, a lot of agricultural crops, uh, timbering, um, sugarcane was uh, famously kind of uh, grown on on Georgia uh, on on Saplo. And the first crystalline sugar production was was developed on Saplo by Thomas Balding, who was very kind of inventive uh, and innovative. The first sugar mill in North America is is said to be on Saplo. The was was on Saplo Island. The remnants of it, uh, made out of tabby, are still there. Um, so you can go and read a plaque, and it's very interesting. Um, and I think, you know, unfortunately, part of that history that gets told about Spalding doesn't tell the history of, of Bilali Muhammad who, and, and the slaves that actually did the work and kind of put into motion the, the technologies that, that Spalding was, was helping think through. So actually, Bilali Muhammad has a different side of his history as well, correct? He does. He does. He was, so he was, uh, he was the, this, his story goes, he was captured in uh, Guinea. Uh, when he was 15, taken to the Bahamas in the transatlantic slave trade. Uh, that's where Spalding purchased him, brought him to, to Sapelo. And uh, over the course of several years, uh, Balali Muhammad kind of proved himself to Thomas Spalding as the narrative goes, and Spalding made him the slave driver. Uh, so he was in charge of all the slaves. And there's this kind of very unfortunate rhetoric about uh, Spalding was a benevolent slave owner uh, because he took such good care of his slaves <laughs> and you know uh, folks on island descendants don't appreciate that and it mm. gets it gets replicated all the time I can through, imagine through all sorts of venues today there was also the aspect of his work with Islam yeah yeah he uh, he is said to have brought the first uh, Islamic text to the Americas uh, through he, he had a script of, of notes uh, about the Quran and Islamic prayer um, it's leather bound it is interestingly held here at the University of Georgia uh, in the special collections I think it might be on loan right now the Smithsonian mm. I've sat in its presence uh, it's it's pretty amazing to to, to think of the first uh, text in the Americas having to do with Islam. And again, like sugar, uh, which we take for granted as kind of everywhere, uh, this text also originates uh, on Sapo, this very small barrier island. It's really incredible, actually. It seems like a part of, a st a part of the story, but in so many ways, it's the center of the story. It it is, and it's it's interesting as as someone who had, was not familiar with the region or the coast or the island when I went there. It took me a while to figure out, you know, these series of very significant things. I mean, th these are not well known details, uh, you know, um, and it's it's surprising in many ways. Once you learn something like that, you can't unlearn how significant uh, <laughs> so, some of the things that have occurred on Saplu are, and then to see the struggles that are ongoing on in this in this place uh, in in that context is is extra energizing i would say mm. oh it gets you excited about the place and the work it does it does yeah i mean there's a, a lot of work to do there in terms of helping and and you know again my original task and the task that i take very seriously is is being a professor at uga representing the university and trying to do better than the university has done in that community you know since the community uh kind of was was forced to deal with uga and so this is this has been a challenge it's it you know from 2014 on been five years now and i think we're making 
good progress, I would say. I don't want to say I don't want to say too much there, but I think we're making progress. Um, and it feels like we're making an important partnership and, and, and bridging important topics and questions. So, yes, I feel a lot of energy. And the more I learn, the more I read, the more I get to know folks, the more uh, energy I have to do the work. Well, let's talk about that work a little bit. I know yeah. that it, it involves politics. It involves agriculture. It involves the land and the people. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, so the, as the story goes, as my story goes on island, um, I took about a year and a half of just kind of hanging out. Uh, getting to know folks, trying to just meet meet as many people as I could, network as I could. Uh, at the same time, try to understand how uh, University of uh, Georgia's Marine Institute works. As as a, if I was going to do work there, that was going to have to be my base. And it's a it's a tremendous place all on its own, which is a perhaps a different story um, as far as its history of scientific endeavor. But um, I started eventually getting to know. Uh, very important woman uh, named Cornelia Walker Bailey. Um, it took some doing, though. I'll, I'll say uh, she was initially very resistant, uh, and and in part because of the relationships that had she had endured with UGA. Uh, when I knocked on her door the first time, she didn't really have any time for me, mm. um, and I kept going back, and I kept going back, and I kept going back, and 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 eventually I got invited into the kitchen. And, and those, those sits at her kitchen table got longer and longer and longer. Sometimes we would sit at her kitchen table for up to four hours, kind of just talking about how UGA could be a better partner and how I could help facilitate that. And one day, um, just kind of whatever brainstorming, she realized or brought up the fact that she had, had engaged in various kinds of partnerships around agricultural production, trying to bring back what she referred to as heritage crops, crops that had been grown on Sapelo in the bad old days, quote, uh, but to bring them back for economic development for the community. And I had some kind of amateur background in doing larger scale kind of uh, agricultural production at the level she was talking about in South Africa. And that kind of piqued her interest. And so we kind of went back and forth on that. And, and essentially what came out of a series of conversations over a period of time was that I had agreed to help bring students and help establish sugarcane uh, and help with uh, ongoing efforts that they had already been in, in, involved with of, of growing Geechee red peas. Mm. And then we continued and we have a, a list from, from those conversations of other crops that she envisioned bringing back into the island. And the, the goal is to create markets for these crops, sell those crops, and bring the money back into the nonprofit on island that she helped start uh, called SICARS. Uh, SICARS stands for? Sapelo Island Cultural Revitalization Society. Um, and it's a nonprofit. And the, the primary goal of SICARS has always been maintaining descendants land in descendants hands to educate youth to, to try and have a presence of uh, saltwater Geechee culture and and you know kind of make certain that their culture does not get wiped off the map mm -hmm. now there's a complication with doing agriculture on a barrier island mm. at this point in time yes there is yeah so um soon after we planted the very first crop of patch of, of sugarcane is and i need to say also it was not just a university of georgia partnership um there's a, a world-renowned geneticist um, steve kresovich at clemson who was one of the earlier partners who had worked with with miss cornelia and um and so they had they had set off and that had kind of stumbled a little bit 
and I then got got involved um, after that point. Um, and yeah, so we we planted the first patch, 125 row feet, which is how I I, start, I initially measured this because we were dealing with such small increments of space. And Hurricane Irma came through, mm. uh, which is I think a very important uh, tell of kind of what the future might hold. As we're as I this morning I woke up, I was staring at the hurricane forecast. Um, and it flooded six foot, uh, tidal surge came into the hog hammock community and essentially decimated or seemingly decimated the, all the work that we had done. Um, fortunately folks in the community, several folks have a lot of knowledge about, you know, how, how to, how to maintain, how to respond to these sorts of, um, circumstances. And one of Cornelia's sons, Stanley Walker, said, "Just flush it with fresh water, and you can you can revive it." And and, and sure enough, um, that that occurred. The other part of that moment in that story, and it's a very important part of my story, there is that a month after Irma, uh, Cornelia passed away unexpectedly. Mm. And so while we were kind of really just getting going in many ways, uh, we lost the visionary behind the project, um, and kind of had to had to reset. Uh, dramatically reset i would say wow um so just going back for one second yeah when he suggested flushing it with fresh water yeah. that seems to indicate that it was a situation that seemed familiar to the people in a way well yeah i mean i think that um living on the georgia coast and, and enduring all sort of 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 you know natural uh, climatological uh, events a lot of folks that i interact with know how to how to handle things Mm-hmm. Uh, and Stanley is especially uh, uh, intelligent uh, around uh, agricultural production, and he was uh, he works for the Department of Natural Resources. He grew up on the island, he knows every inch of the island, every plant that I've ever pointed at and asked him what it was, he could respond. So mm-hmm. I just, and this is not just true of, of Stanley, but many folks I've come into contact with. So, right. I mean, I think when you live in a close community like that and you grow up, uh, you you know the place more so than maybe is common mm-hmm. in other places. Right. Even though the island itself could be facing some challenges that are not annual, that are not fifty in fifty year or hundred year increments. Yeah, uh, there <laughs> hadn't been a major hurricane since eighteen ninety eight, and so you know, across the Georgia coast, many people were kind of lulled into this sense of safety. And I mean, many folks would say it's kind of flukish. You know, there might be something about the curvature of the coast, but I mean, it's just <laughs> kind of random in many ways. And right. so, and then we saw two years back to back, and. And we're starting to see more and more um, action in terms of hurricane forecasts, largely in part, I think, because of climate change and and global warming. Um, So, yeah, folks on island uh, have have a series of threats that they are constantly trying to think through how to prioritize what. And oftentimes, you know, it's like just one foot in front of the other. Even though these conditions are going to cause us to look a lot more broadly than we probably ever have. Not just in this that that locality or this country, but all, or across the world. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they they are on Saplo dealing with questions and issues that everyone is gonna hopefully start thinking about and and dealing with and be, being forced to deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just it's a microcosm in many ways because it's such a small island um, that I think that the the impacts feel so much greater in lots of ways and can be feel amplified. Unscripted is a production of the Franklin College of Arts and Sciences, the oldest, largest, and most academically diverse college at the University of Georgia. 
More than 650 faculty members provide instruction in every classical discipline and all branches of empirical inquiry. Critical thinking skills, from languages and literature to biological sciences, build the foundation for every profession as they empower students to be informed, engaged citizens. For more on the Franklin College, visit franklin.uga.edu. So Miss Cornelia, uh, she passed away in 2017, but uh, I guess about 15 or 16 years earlier, she published a very extraordinary memoir. She did, yeah. And uh, it's, you know, I don't know what, how many copies it sold or uh, whatnot, but um, it's called God, Dr. Buzzard, and the Bolito Man, uh, Saltwater Geechee Talks About Life on Sapelo Island, Georgia. And um, she, she just talks about growing up on the island and it's remarkable it's it really is remarkable to to hear she's of the last generation that were born on the island went to school on the island uh you know kind of really articulates the struggles of folks coming on the island tells the stories about balada muhammad and you know her ancestors and it's just it's like she she was always such an important and powerful storyteller that it comes through in the pages of the book it really does she weaves reality with the folklore and the legend and life on the island in yeah. a way that is absolutely seamless and that's how she talked also I mean, really this is, i mean like I, I would literally i'd be at the kitchen table and i'd look up and be four hours later and I'd just like you know be mesmerized by her telling me stories about growing up and you know just even when we were talking about planning some of the the things and envisioning things that we we're doing she she had this kind of narrative style and this very dramatic way this dra dramatic presence that was just like awe-inspiring and so your program is uh, named to honor her legacy, but it's a bit more than that, actually. Yeah, yeah. So after she passed away, uh, another her other son who lives on island, uh, Maurice Bailey, uh, who I had become, you know, I had been working closely with kind of under her kind of leadership, uh, Maurice and Stanley and I, but mostly Maurice and I, um, were, were trying to develop plans and, and doing the work. And... You know, after she passed, there was a moment where I thought, well, maybe I'm not supposed to be here. Maybe it's like, maybe it's just, you know, in the hurricane. It just, it felt, it felt very deflating to say the least um, and kind of very hard. And Maurice and I really kind of took some time to to talk. He, he and his family actually stayed at our house in Athens when Irma came. Mm. So it was a, an important time right before she passed to kind of get to know each other more closely. And, and we decided that we wanted to, to honor her legacy by creating something called the the University of Georgia's Cornelia Walker Bailey program on land and agriculture um, to help facilitate the ongoing development of agriculture, but to develop a program that that couldn't really stand on its own. I mean, it it is it exists essentially to partner with SICARS. Mm -hmm. It does not without SICARS, it does not exist because all the the the, the planting and agricultural growth that we're doing is all SICARS growth. But it's I mean, the way that oftentimes I talk about it is that our program is a bit of an incubator mm -hmm. to help SICARs get, get this program up and running. And it's also just provides an opportunity. I mean, I've had students, I teach a, a Maymester class there. I've had students, interns, lots of folks go, and it, it just provides a conduit for, for the UGA community to just get to experience this place and, and, and get to know some folks, which is, is very difficult. I mean, again, it took me two years of, of being there before I felt like I was really kind of tapping into an understanding. So um, it, it's, been, it's, been, it's been fairly remarkable. It's been challenging um, to, to get up and going, but the, the program seems to be hitting stride now. We, we, for instance, are, 
have a four acre farm now. We've we've kind of grown from 125 row feet of sugarcane to this massive land. And when I say we, that's really Sycars, but that that's the 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 land that we're kind of partnering and working on. And Maurice and I co-direct this program, which I think is very important. Um, we wanted to make sure that we could kind of get rid of a lot of the the hierarchies that oftentimes occur between academic and, and community relationships and partnerships. So, um, you know, we, we've had a lot of support both through folks at UGA. Merrill Alber, again, has been very supportive and Ugami has been very supportive of this and very interested in the, the outcomes and outputs of, of our effort and our labor. Um, but the, the state, uh, the Department of Natural Resources, the island manager, a man named Fred Hay, uh, has been very supportive from the beginning also. Uh, Doug Sampson, who is the director of Sioneer, Saplo Island National Estuarine Research Reserve, which is on, on Saplo. He was actually one of the first people I started talking to. and brought me. So in part, one of the reasons I was recruited, I think, to, to be there was my kind of ability to kind of do organizing work and to bring stakeholders together. So I oftentimes do these like circles of conversations through mm-hmm. everyone and make sure we're on the same page and try to figure out how we can push uh, projects forward. Plus your ability to become a farmer. Well, I, you know, I mean, I, I've, I've learned a lot. I've learned a, a lot, a lot about farming uh, at the scale. I mean, the, the, the farm that we talk about now, it's actually a 25-acre parcel of land that Sycars had negotiated, you know, some time back. You know, it was a very hard-fought uh, victory that was originally going to be purposed for something else and that something else never came to fruition so it had just been sitting there so when we started having these conversations we started to clear trees and till land and remove rocks and sticks and you know things that uh we did a lot of it by hand with hand handheld machines there was not a lot of heavy machinery there's never been a lot of heavy machinery where we're trying to think about how to do development work so we can now that we're growing to to get the resources to to work smarter with more <laughs> right. with more uh, heavy equipment. But as it stands now, I mean, I was just emailing today about there's a bunch of trees that we took down. We did have a track hoe on island in June that we took down an acre and a half worth of 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 large, very large pines that are just sitting there now because of the drought and we have to burn them and we have to burn them and kind of get that land prepared mm-hmm. before uh, end of October, because that's when we'll harvest what is now upwards of 4,000 row feet of sugarcane. Wow. Uh, and transplant some of it. And, and I think the idea is, uh, according to Maurice to, to make some syrup and start to sell a, a product out of, out of the endeavor. Any proceeds will always go back to Sycars. Yeah. And, and the original goal there, that this was Miss Cornelia's vision was to have enough income to generate employment because as she talks about in her book, as she's always talked about, or as she had always talked about, you know, the population is dwindling, you know, in, in 1910, there were over 500 Geechee living on Island. The number that I just read last week and in, in something is, is 40. Wow. 40, uh, 40, four zero. I mean, the, the number that gets used is 40 full-time yeah. residents. And, you know, some you know, numbers are challenging in these sure. ways, but I mean, there's not a lot of people. It's certainly not, uh, you know, the workforce. Yeah. 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 So, no. so, you know, we spend a lot of time talking to, to folks. We've just been able to hire, um, a descendant on the Island, uh, Marvin Grovner, who is, has been great. He's been working with us and, and it's, it's, it's very gratifying, you know, and I, I imagine if Cornelia were around, she would be very happy to, to see that 
you know, some of these uh, kitchen table conversations are, are coming into to being. Um, and the, the program itself, it fits with the university's mission. And uh, it also comports with the land-grant mission. But it also fits with a lot of the current trends that we see being embraced, entrepreneurial spirit and the, the incubator that you mentioned. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. My, my mode of being is to just kind of stumble around and figure out how to do things and then find the words later. And right, so right, like, yeah. I, I mean, like incubators, I just started using this word like last month, you know, like very recently to, yeah. to explain what it is we're trying to do. Yeah. As more recent, I sit on porches longer and longer <laughs> to try and figure out what it is we're trying to do. And, you know, I mean, we know we want to grow, grow crops. We know we want to develop markets. But like we have the general guidelines, but you know, some of the, the particulars, we just haven't had the capacity or the time because it's just been so much work and, you know, I'm four and a half hours away. Yeah. So I, I go when I can, I teach a class. I, you know, I, I go every month for the most, I mean, I go every month now. Um, and, um, but you know, he and I talk on the phone every day, pretty much, uh, sometimes you know, five times a day. And we're just like trying to like get ideas going. And, you know, I think that the next year, next year will be very important in terms of the long-term possibilities of some of the agriculture, because like we're, we're getting to a scale now where we're going to need more labor. You know, I'm raising an army of 15 students who are going to go at the end of October. Um, I was actually as an aside yesterday, I asked one of my classes, which is about food politics. I'm like, I had mentioned this. I'm like, we're going to do this. I'm going to give everyone an opportunity. I didn't get a sense that people were excited about it. So last Thursday, I, I gave a big lecture about South. I told the story kind of with this story here that we're talking about. And then yesterday in class, I said, can I just see a show of hands? of like, who's thinking they're going to try and go? Almost every hand went up. Wow. And it was just like, yes. You know, like they, it's like, and they hadn't even been there yet. And they're super excited about it. So, That's I mean, fantastic. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, it's, it is very exciting. Well, and it's also, yeah, you, you do a great job sharing it with people. But um, a lot of school kids in Athens, Clark County, go there during yeah, middle yeah, school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My son uh, went there before I, I ever went with his ecology yeah. club, and he came back telling me about South Ohio. Yeah, both my kids went yeah. too, so, and, and it, st it sticks with them. Yeah, yeah, it really does. I mean, it's I've, I mean, the students almost to a, a one that I've had in my class has used the language of life changing experience, mm -hmm. like, uh, and and that's how I feel about it myself. So I just feel like it was like a real gift to be able to spend time there. It sounds like it. It's, even, it's yeah. Even as even as as sweaty and stinky as I get uh, doing the work, <laughs> it's a really ambitious project, uh, and it's at once this, you know, for for a, a poor use of words, it's a living laboratory. Except it's far more. It's more than an experiment because it involves people and their livelihoods. Yeah, yeah. I, I I'm I'm real careful to not um, think about it as you know experimental yes, or, yes. or 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 i mean i it is research i mean uh and i'm and i'm and i'm writing about it and i'm writing with maurice and i are, are about to start a very large kind of writing project together um but it's their lives right and 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 as a land-grant university as a public university you know I, we we owe it to the residents and the, the the folks that live in this state to to try and use our resources as a university to to do what we can and so i mean i think that was the impetus um to to think about how can we galvanize support how can we bring brains hands feet shovels um and 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 both learn i mean it's it's learning absolutely but it's also like contributing uh and i think important ways in ways that hadn't hadn't really happened there, uh at least not in these particular ways. 
and learning how to contribute, make a contribution is a great thing to learn in and of itself. So in addition to, in addition to climate change, what are some of the other primary challenges facing the island? Yeah. I mean, I think that one of the issues that I was thinking about when I first came there more so than climate change, because I don't have the, the depth of background in climate change is, is exurbanization or the, the kind of ongoing development of private property on the island, which is not very much. Um, so we, when we think about the dispossession of, of communities, there were at one point somewhere between 13 and 15 Geechee communities on Sapelo that all got pressed down. All the residents got pushed down by Reynolds into the Hog Hammock community. If we think about the, the island, so the island is, is 16,500 acres, just to, as a reference point. The Hog Hammock community is 434 acres. So it's a very small proportion. And essentially, after Reynolds passed, his widows, through two different increments in 1969 and 1976, sold most of the north end of the island to the state. The state runs it as a, a nature preserve, so there's a, or a wilderness preserve, and so there's a lot of hunting that occurs up there. The very bottom of the island has the Spalding Mansion on it, which the state of Georgia operates as a as a park, as a as a destination for weddings and whatnot. And then the University of Georgia's Marine Institute is also on the south. And so straddled between these, these two spaces is the hog hammock community. And it's essentially the only portion of private property that can be transacted in, on, on the market uh, on the island. And that used to be fundamentally, almost universally, a Geechee residence. Mm -hmm. So at some point in the 70s, there was like my colleague Dean Hardy and I are, are, are trying to trace through these transactions through from the 1970s and then paying attention now. And what we're seeing, especially in the 2000s, was this rapid transfer of property out of Geechee uh, families into kind of off-island, white, wealthy, you know, I don't want to be too generalized there, but I mean, that, that's the, you know, a, a, kind of a, the, the, the position of these folks. And... And this is the when Miss Cornelia would talk about land loss and saving the land. It was in, mostly about folks buying up all the land in the community and pushing them out. So, in the in the early twenty teens, I think twenty thirteen or so, there was a, a very large kind of risk of a, a, up to a five hundred percent tax increase in the community as a result of the new properties driving up tax rates and also McIntosh County, the county that sat those in, kind of reassessing. They hadn't done a tax assessment in a while. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Just hadn't been, I don't know what the background there was, but um, it, it it got national attention. So the New York Times kind of got in there, did a big story. It kind of blew up. Mm -hmm. And fortunately, fortunately, the attention, I think, forced McIntosh County to reconsider. They didn't levy the, the large tax uh, increases because it would have just lent to many people losing their land. Having to sell. Having to sell, right? Just not being able to afford it. And it's crazy, right? Because yeah. like the state of Georgia has documentation that suggests this is one of our most precious, important communities left in the state, culturally speaking. And, and there's just not the kind of uh, effort to preserve, uh, actually. There, there are all kinds of, uh, I, uh, you know, we talk about policies that, that could be used to mobilize and stabilize some of the property markets in this community. But that's not happening. I mean, every time I go there, I see a new for sale sign. Mm. And, you know, Miss Cornelia would also ta always talk about like, you know, a lot of these folks are her family selling land to these folks. So it's, it's, a, it's a, there's, they're, they're, they're doing it by their own accord. Right. Um, and, and so 
it's it's hard. It's a difficult thing, especially as an outsider, to make a judgment about. So I don't do that. But right. but she also was clear that you know it's it's gonna it's their wealth that they're they're cashing in on, and so she she was also like. You know, this is hurting our community, but uh, I'm also I feel like I can I can respect. Yeah, it's legitimate know, on some it's level. It's legitimate, but yeah. it, but it's it, again what it what it results in is is land loss of Geechee yeah. uh, property and influx of 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 you know non Geechee descendants, and you know it's easy to imagine. So the the term cultural genocide is what she often talked about. It's easy to imagine a scenario whereby there's just no no Geechee left, mm-hmm. and and I'd, I'm not willing to accept that as as something I'm gonna uh, think about, and I don't think anyone else is. But if we just follow the trend lines, it's 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 very real, it's very serious, it's very dramatic. Um, and the folks that are coming in are also building much larger homes on stilts, and mm-hmm. they're they're anticipating some of these other uh, issues from the sea level rise, and that's gonna lead unquestionably in my mind to tax increases that are going to kind of take us back to the early 20 teens and, and some of those fairly dramatic problems. So I think one of the things that you know, when I, when I talk to the folks that I know associated with sidecars, it's like trying to prepare for the next time a tax increase comes and what does that look like? And part of what that looks like is just being active on the ground. The, the, our program helps that in some way. But there's, there, I mean, Sycars has a long history of doing, you know, a lot of really important things. Mm-hmm. And after Miss Cornelia passed, it it stumbled. Maurice is now the president of Sycars, so and he's he's been working to 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 kind of revitalize it and get it back up on its feet so it can be ready to fight when this when this comes. And a lot of that fight is financial. A lot of it is cultural. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that there's a mistake to to say that you know the the Gullah Geechee people on Sapelo Island are all like one community. I mean, yeah. Like any community, if there's disagreements, there's there's differences of opinion, there's different objectives, and you know, I don't know enough people well enough to. I don't, it's not my business to actually comment on on that. But I mean, I I do think that it's like it's a matter of kind of getting folks on the same page around a collective vision, mm-hmm. and I think that that you know that work is being done, and that work is kind of constantly being done, and it, you know it's ultimately up to to them uh, to decide what they want to do. But I think this is where you know like the University of Georgia and our program and students and like you know when we're when we're asked can, can we help you know we also need to be ready to to pitch in. Mostly, I mean, just just again for the reasons that we've talked about, mm-hmm. um, it's it's definitely a fair exchange, though, in terms of just the insights and experiences that that we are offered through that partnership. Oh, indeed, indeed, it's uh, um, um, it's uh, necessary, important, and again, like we've talked about before, it's amazing that a place like Sapelo even exists. Yeah, it really is. I mean, yeah, I mean, um, again, like the stories about the sugar and the Lolly's text. I mean, they're all. There's a long list of these other remarkable things on this island. Right. right? Um, you know, I, so it's it's just it's just a matter of like trying to mobilize the history in a particular way that that we can garner enough, uh, or they can garner enough strength with enough partnership and enough support to 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 try and maintain their cultural heritage. You know, because it it is. I think you said, but it is the 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 largest remaining most intact. Geechee community left in the United States, which I guess is another one of these remarkable facts. And we're just watching it kind of dwindle. With everything, well, the the, the beauty of the island, but the forces arrayed against it physically, as well as uh, the inhabitants seeking to maintain a livelihood, what keeps you optimistic about Sapelo? Well, I think, uh, I mean, I, I think I just, 
yeah, at some point you just have to choose to to be positive. I mean, I I Miss Cornelia was probably one of the most important people in my life to date as far as helping me appreciate both the the history of struggle, but also like the persistence of struggle uh, moving forward. And I think that that she was so willing to kind of take me under her wing and, and give me so much of her time. And and Maurice is likewise so so willing to to partner with us and you know, puts up with me in, in, in my, in my funny different ways. Uh, I just, I just can't help but feel like, you know, like th- there might be sea level rise. Well, there is sea level rise. We know that this is coming. A colleague of mine, Dean Hardy at University of South Carolina has been showing us models of like which parts of the island are, are likely to experience sea level rise. And, and, you know, this is a reality, but it, it it's not a reality tomorrow. It's not a reality next week. And so I think we just push on and, and, and do the best we can. And I think that m- most importantly, just looking over the last three years of the program, I mean, the, the gains that we've accomplished are, are like remarkable. I, I mean, I, I was optimistic three years ago, but I didn't actually think that we'd have 4,000 row feet of, of sugarcane, you know, and fences up and, you know, like have figured out how to do these other things. And we have. So this suggests that we can keep growing in those ways. Wow. It's a great story. Um, Nick Hainan, thanks so much for coming on the show. It's great to learn more about Sapelo, and we look forward to learning more about it in the future. Thanks for having me.